It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you, taking your calls at 801 575 8255. You can also text us at 57500. Next listener, Ton says they have four very large tomatillo plants, blossoms, but nothing matured into tomatillos. What do you think happened? Planted I, too late? I think that the heat is getting them and be patient and you'll probably get some. Okay. Gary is on the line in Leighton. Good morning, Gary. What was your question? Yeah, good, mo- good morning. Um, yeah, I have a dwarf uh, apple, I mean, Jonathan, and uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of apples on it this this year, um, but all of a sudden it's sending up uh, just tons of shoots. Um, and, and, you know, I pruned it in, in the you know and probably in April I'm guessing did, did I print it too much? Well, Jonathan Apple, especially on certain rootstocks, is a very aggressive apple as far as growing, and so you could have done nothing wrong and it would just still do it. And so that's just Jonathan Apple. I my father in law has a large orchard, and the Jonathan apple tree is mature in his orchard and it can take me two to three hours to prune that tree. And then all the other trees I can do six or seven in two to three hours. And so it's just one of those trees that is just super aggressive. Mm -hmm. Lots of water sprouts. You can take a lot of the water sprouts out in late June or early July when they're less than six inches long. You don't want to do all of them. But uh-huh. you can take a lot of those out earlier in the summer, so it's easier to deal with than the next February when you're supposed to prune. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for your call today. Next listener, Tan, says they think that their lawn has fusarium wilt in it in some areas. Uh, what would be the best treatment for it? Well, I'm not really willing to say, oh, you have fusarium. They really need to send a sample up to the USU Pest Lab to let them determine, well, at least see if they can determine what it is causing the problem. A lot of times we think we have fusarium Mm -hmm. or summer patch or whatever, and it's lawn grubs or it's drought stress. And we spend a lot of money on fungicides or pesticides that we didn't need to spend. And so for the 10 or 15 bucks it costs, that is the first thing I would do and let them get a diagnosis back to you with some recommendations. All right. Sarah is on the line in Sandy. Good morning, Sarah. What was your question? Sarah, are you there? Yes. Go ahead. What was your question? Hello? Good morning. Good morning. Sorry. Uh, I have this lovely peach tree that is full of peaches, and um, the peaches are getting ripe, but they're not bigger than maybe a half a dollar. Can you tell me how I can get them to grow bigger? There's a few things. Is your peach tree in your lawn or separated and on its own irrigation? It's... 
on my lawn sprinkling system. Okay. With drought restrictions from the last several years and just the heat we've had this year, it probably needs to be have some supplemental water a couple of times a month. So okay. even though your sprinklers are doing the job, um, do the leaves and everything look healthy, by the way? Yeah, they okay. do. Okay. So the what I would... Go so ahead. Healthy. So the tree looks very healthy. Okay. So I would probably just every two to three weeks take a hose and sprinkler out, run it for an extra half hour to 45 minutes under the tree to drive okay. water deeper. So that's one okay. thing. And the second thing is that the earlier the peach, the smaller they have a tendency to be. And I suspect you probably have an early red haven or a red haven with a blue ripening now, but I would consider thinning the peach so that you have one fruit for every six inches of branch sometime in late May to early June, once danger of frost is mostly gone. So thin those out. Go ahead. Is it too late to thin them out now? It is. They're not going to get any benefit. And then the other thing I would do is sometime in mid-March, just get some lawn fertilizer, not a weed and feed, but just standard lawn fertilizer, uh-huh. and put it in your Whirly Gig, like the broadcast spreader. I don't know if you have a, or just however you'd want to do it, and do a fertilization under the tree in mid-March. Okay. And so that you can get the maximum amount of nutrients. But when we have really hot, dry weather, the small fruit is quite common. Okay. Okay, one other question. Are you pretty sure that it's not an apricot? Yes, I'm okay, sure because I've thought of it. This is the first year I've had this problem. Okay. And it's probably Usually, the yeah. hot July. Okay. All right. All right, Sarah. Thanks for your call this morning. <laughs> Getting a lot of questions about peach trees today, Ton. That takes us to our next caller who is Kim in Mill Creek. Good morning, Kim. What was your question? You there? Yes, go right ahead. How you doing? Great, thanks. Well, I've got a couple peach trees that have gotten a disease that the um, nurseries are calling it a canker. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, the, t- the trees are not happy campers at all. Quite a bit of dieback. I'm just wondering if the fruit will still be okay. It'll be absolutely fine. There's nothing. Okay. The fungus that causes it is called um, Cytospora. And especially peaches through Salt Lake, Davis, Weber counties have been heavily hit, but even other areas. And unfortunately, the only way to get it out of the tree is to cut it out. But then you cut off a lot of conductive tissue. So if it's very severe, I might consider getting a new peach if you can find one or in the spring and right. planting it. And one thing you can do to prevent Cytospora is to paint the trunk every October with water-based latex paint diluted one-to-one with water. And so what that will do is keep the sun from damaging the trunk and create fewer openings for that cytospora to get into the tree. And you can paint the lower limbs too. Interesting. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Ton, is asking if there is a good tree that can grow in a large pot. They're buying a home with a master bedroom with windows that are on the west side, but outside the window there's only concrete. And this person says they really, I understand this person completely, they really emotionally need to see leaves outside their windows. So they're wondering if you have any thoughts on what kind of a tree they could plant in a 
big pot? A standard shade tree is out of the question, and even a lot of the what we consider smaller ornamental trees, they would need to do something like a grafted single-stem rose of Sharon or something similar to that that's really a bush, but it's just been trimmed up and grafted into tree form. And then that would need to go into a shed or an unheated garage in the winter and watered periodically so that it doesn't winter kill. So they'd need something small enough they can get on a dolly or get a hand truck under it to move it. Hmm. And so nurseries will have several options. I like the Rose of Sharon because they seem to do a little better, although they do need to be staked until the trunk is big enough to support the canopy. Hmm. It's a tough one, especially on the west side, too. It is. And the Rose of Sharon would tolerate the heat fine, and they would get flowers out of it. But, you know, five to six years down the road, it'd be probably eight to ten feet. And they'd need to, in the spring, probably mid-March, prune it quite heavily to keep it in check. But that would be my best suggestion. How big a pot would they need, though? That would eventually need a pot with a volume of fifteen to twenty gallons. You definitely need a ga- you need a a dolly to to haul yes, that you to do. the shed. You do. Okay, we need to take a break. Number to call with your questions eight zero one five seven five eight two five five. Amy, you're up next when we come back. Number to text us five seven five zero zero. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me, and this is the point where I thought. I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you this morning, taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can also text your questions at 257500. Let's go back to our phone lines. Amy is in West Valley. Good morning, Amy. What can we help you with? Hi. Um, I bought a plant at, I think it was Western Garden Center, and they were Howden pumpkin plants. And I thought they had spider mite damage, but apparently they had something on them that was much more evil. And um, whatever fungus or whatever they had on them, it spread to my entire garden. My tomatoes have curly leaves. They're starting to curl. And then my potatoes, the the first few set of leaves on my potatoes is starting to uh, curl. And, of course, I my squash... It does look like spider mite damage, but it's a little more severe. And I don't know what kind of fungus it is, and I honestly don't know what to do. Okay, so the first thing I would recommend doing is getting samples. Well, first, call the Salt Lake County Extension Office and find out Mm -hmm. when they do their diagnostic clinic. Because they can look at your plants under a microscope to see if they can find spider mites and Mm -hmm. other things. And then take lots of pictures 
of the plants and then up close, you know, to kind of just build a body of evidence. Because what I will say is that there, unless, and this is a soil disease, there are very few insect pests or diseases that attack the entire garden. Spider mites would be Mm -hmm. one of them and maybe aphids and Western flower Mm -hmm. threads. And so those pumpkins could have had powdery mildew on them, but you may be seeing just, you know, when you gamble, sometimes you lose everything. And this could be the year that all the evil stars aligned correctly and your garden's going down. And it wasn't the squash that caused it. And they have their problems, but what's hitting the tomatoes wasn't caused by the straws, the squash. And so mm-hmm. what I would do is take those samples into the Salt Lake County office when they do their clinic and talk to them and their master gardeners. And then, especially on the tomatoes, I'll have you look up a disease called curly top. Mm-hmm. And look it up and see if it matches because that causes a lot of leaf curling. Another thing to look at would be 2,4-D damage, just 2,4-D, and see if anything matches there because that could cause a lot of damage in your garden if you got some drift. 2,4-D, what's that? It's an herbicide. It kills dandelions, but if it, it was sprayed on a hot, windy day, the vapor could drift into your garden and cause a lot of problems with... Oh. I'm not saying that's it, but it's something you need to investigate. But get those samples in. And I am sorry your garden's going down. I don't want to make light of anything. No. But it's about 99% of the time, there, unless it's like herbicide damage or spider mites sometimes, 99% of the time, the plants have their own specific problems instead of one thing causing all the damage. And when did, when did you say the diagnostic clinic was? How would I get in touch I, with them? Unfortunately, that's not my county, but what you would do is Google or do an internet search of USU Extension Salt Lake County, and they will have a horticulturist and a reception desk that you can call and just call and ask them, when is your diagnostic clinic? Okay. All right. Thank you. All right, You're Amy. Thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Tan says, is liquid aeration effective? They have clay soil in Harriman, and they had this liquid aeration this year. Now their grass has yellowing light green spots, and they're wondering if it's because the grass can't take up the iron. It's probably not an iron issue. Mm-hmm. Liquid aeration is effective for several weeks at best, and then it is broken down by soil microorganisms, and it just decays, and you're back to where you started. And so a I prefer the hollow core aeration, pulling cores as deeply as you can get them, you know, with a machine. And so it is more work, but the impact is a lot longer lasting. And in Harriman, with all the clay soil, I would recommend doing it at least once a year. And if your yard gets a lot of traffic, twice a year in the spring and fall. And so... I don't know that the the liquid aeration may have helped temper, excuse me, just some hiccups. It helps temporarily, but it kind of just plays out and doesn't do anything long term. And it would need to be done two or three times a summer or I would do the hollow core, which in my opinion is still a much better solution. 
Now, as far as the lawn turning brown and yellow and things, I think that it might be due to a really heavy clay soil or, you know, compaction or something like that. Sometimes the soils in Harriman can be a little bit salty, but I, I, grass usually can get enough iron out of the soil until the pH is around 8. All right. Let's take a phone call from Jason in Harrisville. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Good morning. How are you? Great. What was your question? So I'm, I have a problem with a peach tree, and I know it sounds like that's the theme for today, but I have a, I have a uh, peach, I actually had this happen to two peach trees. A couple years ago, I had a peach tree that had produced well for a few years, and it was in my lawn, and all of a sudden the leaves would start yellowing like they looked like it had an iron chlorosis. I'd try and treat for the iron chlorosis. And then the tree just stopped producing, and I could never get the tree to go well. So I decided, well, I'm just going to replace that tree. Um, and I placed it in a garden area that does not have, I mean, so it has its own watering thing, but it's only a year and a half old, and it has the same symptoms. The leaves are yellow. You can see the green splines in them. A lot of the leaves have shriveled up and look like they're they're dying, and it hasn't produced. We may need to hold you through until the 10 o'clock over the news. So let's start with this. But do the leaves, are they light green with darker green veins or yellow with lighter green veins? Yeah, they're pretty yellow with with green veins. Okay. Have you had your soil tested? I have not. Okay. Sometimes the closer you get to the Great Salt Lake, the soil gets saltier. And Harrisville... Mm -hmm is getting, you know, pretty far west. Are you on a, on well water? No. Okay. Yeah, it's a pine view irrigation. Okay. So your water's good. And if you're on a well, the shallow wells out there are quite salty. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to eliminate the possibilities. And so what I would recommend doing is this spring getting some chelated iron. So like Miller Farrah Plus Plus, a you might need to do a liquid or maybe go over to Great Basin Turf. They carry a product with multiple micros in it and getting those into the soil in mid to late March. Are we getting there, okay. Maria? Uh, we are. I okay. Was, okay. Let's hold them through. Okay. Jason, we're just going to hang okay. you on the line just for a few minutes here. Sorry okay. about that. We are up against the top of the hour news. Um, folks, the number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. And you can text us your questions, 57500. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.